All right, all right. Check one, check two. This is it. Welcome to the Cannabis Coffee Hour. With your host, me, Rob Cantrell. Oh man, I got a great episode, a great guest. One of uh, one of my good friends, dude I've done sketches with, I've done a lot of stand-up with. He was on the Little Rail show. He's written for Vice and Comedy Central. Uh, he's touring right now and has a, a just dropped a dope special on YouTube. He was in a punk band and played drums. One of the more uh, interesting and creative cats I know here in New York. Please give it up for Mookie Thompson. What's up? How you guys doing? <laughs> Good, Mookie. Welcome to the Canvas Coffee Show. <laughs> did I did I just pop up on the screen, or was I already was I already sitting there? Did I or am I just gonna pop up right now? Oh, you were just sitting there. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Good. You just have to sit through that awkward <laughs> intro. <laughs> and be, and, yeah, I thought maybe you could edit me in. I could I could do like some kind of like. Oh yeah, in, that could uh, be in dope. the frame or something. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that would be dope. You're right. I'm sure there's a filter where there's like a curtain where they do like a red curtain. Right. That would be sick. Yeah. That would be sick. You got to build the suspense a little bit, you know? I know. That would, yeah, 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 you're right. See, Mookie, you're such a good producer and writer. Mookie helped me write a, uh, <laughs> and help. I mean, we didn't help me write. We did it together. We, we produced and directed and wrote. We pretty much. That was a great learning thing. We pretty much did everything DIY. It's called PMA and it's on my YouTube and I know it's on U Mookie's Instagram account, but it's like seven short films that we shot and directed and just wanted to write and act. But uh, Mookie, yo, so this is the Cannabis Coffee Hour. Uh, how you living, man? I, I, are you hitting the herb these days where you're at with the herb? Oh, yeah. Heavy, oh, yeah. Heavy? I'm yeah, I'm smoking more than ever, but I, it's all I really do as far as partying. I drink rarely these days, so I, that's my excuse to smoke as much as I want. That's how I always did it. That's how I got rid of cigarettes, and eventually that's how I got rid of... Uh, yeah, eventually that's how I got rid of uh, alcohol. Not that it's anything bad, but uh, it was just like you could do one or the other, but when you start combining everything, <laughs> when you're just like smoking cigarettes and smoking weed and doing rails and drinking and raging out like it's uh it's uh yeah man you get too cool yeah <laughs> well, I, the hard drive just, yeah the, you get too cool you start wearing studded belts and uh wearing <laughs> you know, yeah uh, you can't sustain that man yeah you can't it's oh, man, sustainable. Yeah. i've been talking about this mookie that's the thing is like like fame and ego and power, like you, and especially comedy career, you got to pick shit that's sustainable that you could do over and over and over again without much effort. And that won't break down over time. Right. That's really, that's really wise because you see a lot of people now I see uh, comedians are kind of, um, they're, they're more, I don't want to use the word desperate, but for lack of a better word, people are just more eager to be put on, so quickly that they're just willing to just like start putting out kind of like, you know, all their undeveloped material, like first year in. Uh, 
And that's that right there is not sustainable to me. You know what I mean? Like you, you need to develop an act and work on yourself instead of just trying to get fame right out of right out of the gate, flash of the pan. You know what I mean? I do know it's a it's a weird time. And especially with uh, reels and you're on TikTok, it's like you can really make some of these clips move and you feel like you're moving the needle. And I think you are. I think I mean, it's it's not either or I think you got to do a little bit of all of it. But yeah, in the beginning, yeah, people are just like throwing their stuff out there. As soon as they get a hunk of material on videotape, they just chop it up and put it on their reels, which is, you know, I don't know. I just think the game is changing a little bit. But like you said, yeah, is it sustainable for 15 years constantly putting out, you know, super clips? And then all you're doing is making Instagram a lot of money right. and making them, you know, <laughs> their thing. Yeah. I mean, the guys that are able to do it all the time, like uh, Nimesh, who I tour with, Nimesh Patel, uh, I mean, I'm amazed at how much content he's able to put out, but it's also like, that's a full-time job. You know what I mean? He's always taping, always cutting everything to clips, constantly thinking of how do I get new material? How do I get this crowd work to keep feeding that social media beast? And it's really tough. Like that's what I've been doing lately with the special, cutting it up and putting it out. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's gonna go for a little while. I'll have like a few weeks of stuff, and then now that's really what I'm focused on right now. It's like once I run out of those clips, the whole thing goes dark again, right? So then, what do you do? Start doing dances or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, yeah, it kind of dries up. I put out a roll of clips. Like I remember, you gave me a shout out, and. Uh... But now yeah, that was awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But it felt good. Like, I was like, oh, shit, this shit's moving. But then I ended up with the clips. I kind of went through the best of the best that I had, like, laying on the hard drive because it wasn't like recorded shows pandemic time. Uh, I'm saving that up. I'm still kind of touch and go with the whole thing. Uh, I just did Colorado. I did a bunch of shows there and I just got a text that the feature act got COVID that I was working with. Excellent. Yeah, but I tested negative last night. I'm going to test again tonight. And I was wearing a mask. In Colorado, nobody was wearing a mask. I wore a mask everywhere. I wasn't fucking around until I went on stage. And then I, and then outside, I would just smoke joints by myself and, and wave. Yeah. But um, anyway, just to uh, close the loop on what I was talking about, that content stuff, I think what I've, what I've learned recently is, like, you get a lot more out of actually taking your time and taping something uh, high-end. And even if you run out of material, if you're not putting stuff out constantly, I think the quality over quantity actually is uh, is still OK. So I think that people should focus on that a little more in this Internet age. You know what I mean? It's like I'm really happy that I this is like I'm almost 13 years in now and I haven't really released any stand up. And I was telling myself yesterday, like, I'm so happy that I haven't actually got a set on TV or something before this because. I would have hated it compared to where I'm at now as a comic. Totally. Uh, no, you, know? you always feel that way. You always feel that way. And it's always going. But the only thing is, is that I, I'm a little bit too precious with my stuff. And sometimes I hang on to it too long and then it kind of gets dead. Like there is a point where the material is like it's ripe. The fruit is ripe. You know, it's like when I, I if I dig back to like stiff stuff I did in three years ago, some of the cold crushers, they might get laughs, but they don't have the punchy punch as the new stuff, you know. 
So but that uh, time always comes back around. It always does come back around. It's always timing. Like I, I say I, a little bit about life and it's a lot of it's just just timing, you know, and just feeling the mode and feeling the moment like, OK, now it's time to release. And you felt, you know, hey, you've been touring with Namesh. Hey, you got this high end cameras. You taped your special in Minneapolis, one of the better clubs in the country. Um, what's the name of that club again? Acme Comedy Co. Yeah, Acme Com. There's like there's like five really top of the line comedy clubs where the owners like really care and give a shit and the crowd's into it for all the right reasons. And Acme is one of them. One of them is like uh, Denver Comedy uh, Comedy Club, and then uh, Acme Comedy Works. Comedy Works, and then Acme, and then. Uh, and then the punchline in San Francisco. There's just a couple clubs where it's just known to be like a, just a good setup. And that's what you did, right? Uh, yeah, well, actually, Acme has like three cameras set up in the club already. And um, I really, to be honest, wasn't planning to shoot a special. I just realized, you know, they told me they had these cameras. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to definitely get some content for you know, for social media or whatever. And then uh, just so happens I had been running that, that set for, you know, a year and a half. We did almost 200 shows on the road and that was almost like the end of that run. So it was just like the tightest it was ever going to be. And uh, the cop jokes in Minneapolis happened to be more relevant than anywhere, anytime. You know what I mean? Like that was the time and place for that, for those bits. Yeah. Yeah, you do have it. You lean in a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Um, But so. Check. Yeah, but so um, it it uh, everything just kind of worked out. You know what I mean? I got this great footage. It was the cop stuff in Minneapolis. And then once I looked at it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to cut this all into a special. I knew it wasn't going to be the most like perfectly produced thing ever. It's a little rough around the edges. But to me, it was just for my first thing, more about the material, you know, just get that out there. And it looks good enough. That's what I figure. I just keep saying it's good enough. Nobody really cares that much about how a special looks. Yeah, now you're contradicting what you said earlier. <laughs> what do you mean? No, but there no, is... No, no, a, I'm, yeah. I, I was talking about the actual art, not that, not like necessarily the production. Like, I mean, like th- that set was like super polished, super worked on, very thought out. And then, you know, now I'm putting out the bits and all that. And... uh what else you know i don't mean production wise like if you're going to put out stand up i think content trumps production like you know 100% of the time yeah it's a weird thing cuz you'll look at something that's shot in the back of a weird club and if the joke is funny it does it, it'll get just as much as oh here's this tv set from conan you know that's what i do right like i have an early reel of me on last comic standing and then I have one that's at Gutter, which is literally at the back of a bowling alley in Williamsburg. And that one has, te- you know, that one is my biggest one. You know, the one from the Gutter uh, was actually got more hits just because it was a newer joke and stronger joke in the sound. Mm-hmm. And there was good laughs on it that it just popped better. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I mean, it's just like random timing, too, sometimes with these clips, like. Uh, on my TikTok page, I'll have one video do 400 views, and then the next day, a similar video will do 20,000 views. 
and it's, it's very hard to figure out why exactly. A lot of it has to do with just like the time of day that you post for what audience is on there. And I mean, so much of the game is trying to predict all that shit, but you'll drive yourself nuts doing it. Yeah, there's no, you can't, it's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle. Yeah. As much as they say the internet, like, kind of was a cheat sheet to uh, capture lightning in a bottle, it's, it's still hard to get lightning in a bottle, you know? It still has to be just some, like, reason that it smacks. And I will say that's what I like about TikTok is, like, it'll just have some type of weird saying or a clip of the song. And I'm not even on there, but I will start feeding clips coming up eventually. But it like little Nas X, like how he's like the biggest artist right now, like going on this monster tour. And it was literally from, you know, Old Town Road, like 15 minute clip that he made in, you know, on his computer in probably 10 minutes. Yeah, he tricked the whole world into singing along to a gay cowboy song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one of the, that's what, one of the greatest pranks in history. Everyone in like every kid in like uh, elementary schools across the country were like singing the song, and then like all of a sudden, all their parents found out he was gay, and their fucking heads exploded. Like, no! <laughs> yeah, nobody. But when you really think about, like, it's almost like when you live in the moment and you really see reality for what reality is. It's like, of course, he's a gay dude. <laughs> Did you see? Yeah, that? yeah. He's, I remember it, he's one of the rapping lines about riding a horse and getting out of town, and yeah. uh, but maybe he's not. But uh, you know, I I kind of differ on. I think pe some people could be non-sexual. I think just identifying that whole thing. I I hear what you're saying, but I don't think anybody my age or younger doesn't really do. They really trip on people being gay. Does it people your age trip well, on people being gay? No, but it's more the middle of the country. People probably a little older than you, still. Those guys aren't alive. Um, yeah. <laughs> COVID's taking out those cats left and wrong. <laughs> I'm seeing it out there. Uh, but no, I, I I don't wish any bad ill on anybody. Um, but I yeah, mean, it's weird how the, the dumbest of us like hold things back sometimes, you know. But that's how, yeah, you know. That's, uh, that's what I really want. I, I like that song, bro. I'm not going to lie. Do you know that one? It's like his his big hit right now. You, if you don't like that song, like you don't have like a heart and a soul. It's just like pure pop music. Oh, I fucks but, with that. I mean, dude. I always liked Old Town Road, and then I liked how savvy he was. I don't really like internet trolls, and I know he kind of is that generation of internet trolls. But I get it, and it's funny. He's mean, ca mean captain of the world. But yeah, I just think <laughs> he's a funny, cool cat. Like even I don't care, and. And he doesn't bow down and he does it in a peaceful way. You know, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to put devil's blood in these Nike shoes and I'm going to I'm going to booty clap on this <laughs> dude, the devil over here. And, <laughs> and if you don't see the sense of humor or the absurdity or just the campiness of that, you know, it's like I think yeah. that's the trick. It's like, you know, kind of like that whole uh, Lower East Side, you know, kind of transsexual divine like uh showbiz thing you know it's just like it's always been there the kind of little bit right. of value a little bit of nonconformist. uh now mookie you play i want to yeah, talk man. i want to talk about your special we'll switch back to it but uh you know these are stoners so i like mixing in music i like mixing in <laughs> food. 
And you were in a punk band and I'm really getting back into a little bit of punk roots, but I'm old. So it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm not old, but uh, per se, I'm not going into a mosh pit. Like I look at it on video. I'm like, oh, shit. I would joke. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, oh, shit, there's a busted ass elbow. There's a there's a torn ankle right there. Uh, but you were how long were you in the heart? You played in hardcore bands in your teenage years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, for a long time. I mean, from like 14 to I'd say like 22, 21, 22. Yeah, like uh, I played drums in a band and I sang in a band and I had like a little micro record label that put out two releases, toured a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you gave was, me the title. Uh, you took it serious. So, yeah, it sounds. And then you went from 14 to 22. That's actually a career because that's like six, seven, eight. That's eight years uh, playing. <laughs> quick very, math. What's that? That was some good quick math. Yeah, man. I always go to I always <laughs> go to. Do you do that move? You go to 10. I always go to like 10 <laughs> and then I add two more because I always know. No, I'm, good with, I'm good with the uh, I'm good with the seven timetable. So I know 14, 21, that's seven right, right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I always remember four times eight is 32. And I don't know why. I just remember it. <laughs> and then, but when you start throwing like nine times seven, that's when it gets a little tricky. I might have to slow it down. And yeah, that's a tough one. But then you just go 10 times seven minus seven. Boom. Yeah. 53. There's all those cool little tricks. And that's what I was doing there. And we all kind of come up with them. And then there's ter there's like learned ones. But the fun one for me, Mookie, is, dude, hit me with a five because I love saying five, 10, 15, 28. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the, that's the best. That's everyone's favorite. Yeah. Uh, that's like the juicy of the times tables. Everyone wants to sing along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Totally, man. What were we talking about? Oh, hardcore. Yeah. Talking about yeah, hardcore. Uh, and I busted my talking about it. I just like, I didn't chip it, but I like the microphone hit my tooth because oh, I'm so yeah, excited about that five oh. joke. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, but yeah, you were in hardcore bands and uh, you took it serious. Like you were like, we're going to break through because right now the biggest band out there is Turnstile. I don't know. That's just, right. that's just. They're looking. They're. I'm. I'm scared for those guys. They're looking at them like. So Turnstiles manager Nirvana. is one of one of my close friends that I like grew up with doing hardcore and shit. He was actually like kind of like one of my my little brothers in the hardcore scene, and now he's Turnstiles manager. He's one of the biggest like movers and shakers in hardcore. He like runs everything now. Um, and it's he's he's singing a, a band called right now. It's having he's a, a band called Backtrack. If anybody, any of your listeners like hardcore, check out this band called Backtrack. It's like real New York hardcore. They have a ton of records. They're hard as shit. Um, so those guys were like uh, the younger dudes in the scene when I was coming up, and then like I got old. I I turned fucking twenty three and aged out, old man. Uh, and uh, they took over and really did their thing. Like my bands, we kind of had probably potential to to blow up but we were too fat and we were just busy eating sandwiches and fucking hanging out in long island to really uh <laughs> to really push but we did like a couple tours and shit and had our had our stuff but uh, the music was fire that's for sure and still to this day people what were the it. names of your bands mookie i sang in a band called caught up 
Um, and then I played drums in a band called Another Day. Um, I wish that you could, that anyone could find this stuff, but you're not going to. It's it's mad underground. If you don't I have physical copies, you gave me copies, a piece of vinyl. I think I got it on my hard yeah. files. You gave me some vinyl. Like I have a trunk. Hey, wait. Do you have a do you have a way to rip that into MP3s? Well, I'll, there is a place I just did some family DigiCon or Digi. You know, it's over there in Greenpoint. They do video okay. transfer, but you should check them out. It's D I J J. It's D I J I something, but just put in video. But they'll do. You give them anything, and they could transfer it to uh, you know MP3 or whatever you need. They did video files. I got all these old uh, Last Comic Standing video files transferred. Uh, through those cats yeah. Uh, yeah i don't even have the i don't even have the mp3s of any of that stuff right now it's like i can't even listen to it i don't have a, you have a four track like you play drums like what was your setup at home like i think musicians they always got like one guitar i got my guitar but i'm not like a musician but I, when i go to other cats yeah. house you know you have the home studio you got but you were a drummer you got to have room for a kit yeah well um part of the reason why i stopped playing drums was moving to brooklyn because I moved to Brooklyn back in like 2005 and never had room for a drum set again. So it like just sat at my parents' house for years and then I eventually sold off the cymbals. And I think the kid is actually still sitting in my parents' basement with, with missing all the pieces. Oh, we got to get that bad boy out. Yeah, I mean, I would, but I just have no place to put it. Honestly, I really want there one has to be like a dingy rehearsal space around there. Like there has you live in Greenpoint. Yeah, but right? that, that shit ain't that shit ain't cheap. No, it's not hundreds, hundreds a month. I hang on to you need like six guys. So I'll split it up. Everyone pays their twenty five <laughs> for. Yeah. But, or uh, maybe somebody had a rehearsal space that you could stash it until you got the good setup, because I would say, like, if I knew how to play, the thing about being a drummer is, like, you're always in work. If Like, a band always need they always fire in the drummer. Like, they're always, they're hard to stick yeah. around because they're laying down the beat the whole time. So it's like this aerobic workout that's, like, so physical and numbing after a while if you do, a, like, a 40-minute set, right? Yeah, it's tough. I did a tour once where both of my bands were on the same shows together and there was always fights because I would say that uh, I would have to play drums before I sang because after singing, it was impossible to play drums because I'd be so destroyed. Yeah. Singing in a hardcore band is the most exhausting thing you could possibly do. Um, uh, I mean, and then drumming. I could have done that, but not now. I, I love yelling, as you know from my stand-up act. Yeah, but then there was always uh, tension between the bands. Like, oh, you just want to headline when you're singing, so you wanted them to go second. I was like, nah, bro, we're playing for like 15 people in a church. Like, it really is irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and mentally performing as stand-up, like mentally performing, like and putting yourself out there, being the front man, like they all say, but it is a kind of a hard gig because you're kind of taking everything to the face. Like you're kind of dealing with every, I mean, if, if the band sucks, it's kind of on you. If you <laughs> suck, you're making the band look sucky. Um, and people hate on yeah. you because the chicks dig you. And um, well, people definitely hated on me. But uh, no, as a front man, I was I was a complete wild man. 
it was a it was a pure chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do any backflips? No, I wasn't acrobatic, but just very uh, energetic. Did you crowd surf every time? Because that's what I see from these like turnstile big videos. Like everybody just runs up and does the, you know, yeah, rock and roll, dive. the stage dive to get the. But nowadays yeah. with clout, I think it makes it, uh, you know, everybody's just doing it. Um, yeah, I mean, we uh, the, our shows were never that big, dude. Like even like the biggest shows we played were maybe like 100 people or some shit like that. Um, but like the shows that I would attend would be like that. Like I would go see fucking bands at CBGBs and shit like that. Like or like drive up. What to was Boston. the first time you went to CBGBs? What was the first first time? time first time I ever went there was actually a terrible band called Poison the Well. They're like a Florida like emo metalcore band. Yeah, I've heard of um, them. Uh, they're cool, but uh, that was the first time. I wish it was something cooler, but. The best time. Did you go I by had. yourself, or did you go with your sister or your uh, older sister? No, just like, just like, just like other hardcore kids and shit. They used to do Sunday matinees where you can get in if you're 16. Would you take the subway, um, or did your dad drive you there? Yeah, no, take the train in, take the subway, just they, yeah, yeah. Mookie there. lived uh, on Long Island growing up. Yeah. Uh, and, that's uh, sick. Yeah, but uh, did you I drink at CBGBs, or you were you were straight oh, edge? straight edge all day bro yeah dude i think that's so rad like that's the crazy thing like mookie's way out there <laughs> he's almost hunter s thompson these days or he has he's had some <laughs> but i guess you said like from the ages of 14 to 18 mookie drank no alcohol and uh smoked no cigarettes you were like and yeah during your teen years yeah yeah that's cool straight edge angry punk rocker i uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, judging everything. I had more fights than sex. Put it that way. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a lot of pent up testosterone there. So, dead sober. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of backed up nut. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's funny, man. Uh, so, uh, do you listen to hardcore still now? Um, I kind of took a bit of a break for a while, but I've recently gotten heavily back into it. It's kind of like all I've been listening to. Um, like, There's a time and a place for it. <laughs> yeah, but it's also having a big resurgence at the moment, too. Like, um, since post-pandemic, it's really exploded. There's this, uh, this video guy called Hate56. It's the word hate number five and the word six. Yeah, I've he, seen uh, his videos. Yeah, he sh if uh, yeah, if you don't follow him, go check his shit out. He posts these like really high end videos of hardcore festivals and shows and drum camps and really awesome stuff. And he's all like, in Brooklyn. Um, he has a great turnstile of Brooklyn. And then I saw that what I was going to ask you about just to go weave it in there was uh, the Cro-Mags playing at that outdoor park over at yeah, Tompkins. Tom, yeah, I wanted to touch on that. Like, did you see those? Like, that's that. Yeah, that's a resurgence. The crowd is crazy, and it's yeah, it's all the COVID zombies and punk gutter punks coming back from the dead, man, coming out there to rock and roll. It's hilarious. It's it, it, yeah. There's something beautiful and horrible, and I don't know. It's part of like coming out of the pandemic a little bit. Yeah, and on top of that, there's a lot of new female 
lead hardcore bands that are really killing it and are awesome. And uh, especially this band called Gel, G-E-L, from New Jersey. They're so fucking cool, man. And uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. just an awesome thing, too. Because when yeah, I was coming up in the scene, there was, there was never, never enough of that. It's not just boys fun, you know? I know too much dudes after a while with rock and roll, like Van Halen and Led Zeppelin dudes are like, oh, my God, that's and you're just like, dude, you're worshiping like another dude. But to, yeah. see the, <laughs> but to see a chick rock out, there's something even beyond sexual about it. It's just like it's just yeah. cool. Uh, like the Smashing yeah. Pumpkins had a great basis. The Talking Heads had a female basis, which were both like super rad and both super. Ama- they had to be good if, if, in order to come up. But yeah, I never Especially a, a singer too. a singer to me is so cool because like punk rock and hardcore music is all about the underdogs and there's nothing more underdog than a like a little chick trying to be tough singing in a band. And then when they absolutely kill it and they're fucking even harder than any of the dudes, like there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing that. Dude, uh, the popular band when I first got to San Francisco in 99 was uh and it, it was like kind of the early hipster scene. And I just started doing stand up. But in the Mission District was Bride of Ozzy. And it was an Ozzy Osbourne uh, Black Sabbath cover band with this girl singer that would wear duct tapes like the plasmatics, like on her nipples and just rock out to Black Sabbath. I mean, they tear it down like they would it, they would play house party. They were like almost like a biker gang, like their hipster cred was like they weren't even that mainstream. They were just taking shit over. And I remember they have a couple videos. They never went out there, you know, music in these little scenes, like things pop up organically. And that's a lot like, you know, that's why I think people dig hardcore right now or the band Turnstile, because you could tell it kind of came from hard work and and uh, and the stuff is kind of really aggressive and weird. So if it's done well, it just looks super cool and sounds super cool. Like a lot of like how much like the more I make music and I'm not saying I make great music, but, the, you know, like hip hop, like how much of hip hop is just trash? There's only oh, like, yeah, you know, there's only like three percent or like a one percent that is actually good now, you know? Yeah. In I want to speak spectrum. on that. I want to definitely talk about that, but before I forget, have you seen this documentary, uh, Bad Reputation, the Joan Jett documentary on Hulu? Yeah, I think I that did. That just relates to what we were just talking about. It's so cool. If anyone out there hasn't seen it, too, she's one of the like raddest human beings of all time, dude. Oh, dude, uh, she is the epitome of rock and roll, man. Yeah, absolutely. But on the hip-hop thing, dude, like that's kind of why I started getting more back into hardcore, too. Like I got really bored with the hip-hop scene. And it's been real bad for a long time. But the new Pusha T album is maybe one of the best hip hop albums I've ever heard, man. Like, I'm struggling with where to put it in my top five of all time right now. Swear to God. So um, I think I think Pusha T single handedly saves hip hop. And uh, it no uh, most people don't even realize yet what an absolute classic this album is. It's a sleeper. I guarantee like you'll do it start to finish and you'll repeat it uh yeah um neck and wrist but, i've heard uh which song is that neck and wrist it's the one with jay-z oh that's wait the one with jay-z is called uh 
What would you? Oh yeah, neck and wrist. Yeah, with Jay Z and Pharrell, it's fucking amazing, dude. That's like that's. I was seeing your chain. I was thinking you would know that song, the first one. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know all the the, the track titles, man. But I've listened to it like thirteen times. All the I like Jay's like. flow on it. Pusha T, I like, I like, I like, and he's from Virginia. I, ha- I mean, he is as hip hop as it gets because he's originally from the Bronx. I know a lot about him. And I think that these songs are like the, the, op- the, o- the opening track is like basically a straight up Biggie small song. It's just like, God damn, the king is back. And then it's just like every song is like almost like a slightly different style of hip hop. It's like dreaming of the past. Now I'm looking at the track list because I know the names. Uh, dreaming of the past is like a more like soulful, like look back at everything. It's just, man, what an album, dude. I can't say enough Did you about buy it. it? I just, I, no, it's on Spotify. Yeah. It's on Spotify. I, I, yeah, yeah, no. Um, but yeah, that means something if you get it, put it on your Spotify. I think that means something too. Like, I'm gonna download your shit. You know, you yeah. ever get that after shows? <laughs> like, people are like, I'm gonna download your shit, and you're like, dope. But now Spotify took my album off, so I'm kind of bummed. I'm kind of trying to refigure out my 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 relationship. What happened with, Spotify. with that? They're still not putting it on. I got a fucking email this morning uh, from 800. Why is, it, why is it not on? Because uh, it's about the rights. And uh, yeah, because like because you do all the uh, too much anti vaccine propaganda. <laughs> yeah, I don't do enough. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's all about money. That situation with that record. They just don't, you know, Spotify's just known not to pay the artists enough, but you got to use them because they are dope. And uh, I don't know. It's a whole thing. Hopefully that will get worked out. I don't want to make this about me. Um, but yeah, I got, I did get rid of my Spotify cause they weren't playing my album. So I took it down. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, it's upsetting to me. You know, I'm a Rob Cantrell loyalist. I might have to write a letter. I'm going to know Young a couple shit. people that work. At I'm going to tell a, I'm, I'm going to pull a Neil Young, but in reverse, I'm like, if you don't put Rob's album back on, I will pull all of my content from Spotify. And they're going to say, Who, who's this now? <laughs> Dude, like, no, I movie. played in two hardcore vans in Long Island <laughs> the next day and uh, another fist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. What, nah, was, man, the, what was your What was your number one song in hardcore? What was your hit, Mookie? My hit? Like the name of the song? Yeah. You know you had uh, one favorite. At least you guys thought it was that. Yeah, no. I mean, we definitely did. I mean, I think, uh, like, the, the band I sang for, our biggest song. I think the songs had such retarded names. I'm trying to remember. It was such a long time ago. I think it was just called SD, which probably stood for Suckin' Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I swear 14. to God. Yeah. Yeah, it just had like some random ass name, but the song wasn't about that or anything. It was yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like a so like a graffiti tag of some sort. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how graffiti and hardcore mix together, but yeah, they're there. I, I was actually thinking about this earlier today. How there's a uh, uh, it's a very New York specific thing that a lot of people don't get. It's like a punk rock and hip hop combined style and that comes from like the queen's uh influence you know what i mean specifically like queen's hardcore and like you know it, 
uh, even like the the New York hardcore bands like Madball and stuff like that. Those guys are also very like street and hip hop inspired. Uh, the the New York because it's New sound. York. If you're into music, yeah. you're getting like the best hip hop. So everybody, it's yeah. like Nas is looked upon like Frank Sinatra of an '80s kid, you know, or a '90s kid. Yeah. It's just like. It was on, you know, and all your older brothers and all your friends and everybody's uncles listened to, you know, Nas and Hot 97 because it was, you know, right. the biggest fucking shit. And it was the good. They should be listening to it. It was good. Right. Uh, and Madball is like a hugely influential band in like modern hardcore, like really kind of pushed the transition from the more uh, like punk rock uh, melodic inspired stuff into just more straight up, just like beat down violent music, but it was very hip hop inspired. It's kind of known for this sort of bounce in the drums, like the it had kind of a happy feel. Yeah. I kind of got mad ball. I didn't, I don't, I didn't grow up with that, but I listened to it and I know that whole, like they play the trumpets with the dog, everybody. No, 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 no. That's Gorilla Biscuits. That's right. That's Gorilla Biscuits. Okay. That's positive hardcore. Madball is the exact opposite. Everything is about, they're literally a street gang, a DMS, like. They would punch you in the face style. and take your wa wallet, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They absolutely would. Yeah. They were straight, they're straight up criminals. Yeah. New York like, had that as cats. Yeah. 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 The Cro yeah, Mags were like, like that. A, a little thing. bit violent yeah. and a little bit illegal. Yeah, well, because the Cro-Mags come from like real old Lower East Side where it was straight up homeless people and gutter punks living in abandoned buildings. And heroin and addicts, like yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, but yeah, then yeah. a few scattered brilliant artists and weirdos. Yeah. And yeah, no, I when I started comedy, I went to the Lower East Side. I went to Surf Reality in 99. And it was the one place that you could, I, it blew my mind. You could smoke pot indoors. And it was so that scene. It was like, and the open mic went to three in the morning and it literally was like heroin addicts, some Puerto Rican dude, and then some trans, it was just, and to be a kid from Virginia, just to see, that was like one of the most mind blowing mo And I was all by myself going solo and I signed up and I performed late night, but it was like, and going down there was before smartphones and shit. So you had to, it was scary. I like, and I grew up in DC and I wasn't scared that much, but down there, I remember being like, because the show started at like 1230. I was like, oh, this could this could go wrong. Like just being on the wrong. Like it was like dark. You know how some of those lower east side streets at night, like you just feel alone. Yeah, man. I used to do the uh, Bowery Poetry Club midnight mic. That was like kind of one of the places I started at. Victor Bernardo used to host it. You ever do that back in the day? Yeah, I did. That was like, and some of those guys were left over from Surf Reality. I remember that. Right. Yeah, but that was kind of a sweet spot. Like I did, yeah, I rap, I rapped on that stage. I did a rap show on that stage. Uh, that I did was a real freak up. show. Yeah, yeah. That was like the leftover of the Surf Reality. And that, and that world did not exist with like Midtown or Caroline's. Like it was like very wow. segregated. Like it was like almost two other universes like you know floating around and now it's not that way like people say everybody's split up in all these different camps where i'm starting to see it it's more individual like it's more like because we have the technology it's more like everybody's their own yeah. thing you know yeah i made a big shift uh in that respect like i just now think about my comedy career the same way as 
like if I was a hardcore band or or a rapper, like I'm literally just an artist trying to put out content and build an audience and book shows. And it has like, as a comedian, you really don't need the comedy scene kind of at all, except for stage time, really. And obviously the, you know, the, the support of your peers that you can't, uh, can't really do anything without that. But uh, in the long run, the, uh, the, these comedy industry routes are just not what they used to be, right? So you don't really need them anymore. Like getting JFL or getting a late night set is not what it used to be. It doesn't launch your career. It might get you represented by some cokehead agent, but <laughs> <laughs> that's about it, dude. Uh, so yeah. like really all you have to do now is just be an independent artist. Like as if you were a rapper just or a hardcore band or punk band, put up flyers, make t-shirts, get your stuff out there in front of people. And that's the entire gig. And making that mental shift has honestly made me feel a lot more free as an artist. Like, I don't think at all about like, who's going to, what person's going to feel this way about this bit or what whatever man all i no, care you about shouldn't is think about anybody it's hard to, yeah it's hard to not think about other people in life but yeah then i think the number one rule is never give a fuck what other people think if you're if you're being true to yourself and uh and if you're being true to yourself i think that's the way to be most sustainable but with all that said there's two counterpoints to everything is like the real love i get is on stage having fun and growing and flowing like that's like what i really love about stand up and uh it takes a long time to get there you know it just takes a long time i mean you're there but it takes it takes you know at least seven years to get learn just how to shift the gears in some way and then the other thing is I do. I still want mainstream success. I don't want to post clips forever. Give me a HBO show, you know, give me two and a half seasons and let me write or, or, or perform on that. And then I'll do some stand-up gigs on the side, you know, and that, you know, that way that'd be, I'm just saying, I, you know, I still will. I, I would jump on uh, an NBC sitcom or any of that shit. How was your ex experience when you worked on a sitcom rel? Like didn't, that was uh, Mookie was here in New York and then he took off a uh, little bit of a sad story with Kevin Barnett, his friend that passed away. Oh, yeah, a little bit. It's a yeah. little bit sad. <laughs> a little bit sad. Uh, I didn't want to bring it up. And the, uh, that was the That's thing. But then I started. But I also wanted to think Mookie, it was just like the listener would be interested about. You were actually on a real sitcom in the last like, three years, like what that experience yeah. was. And then why you were um, there. Well, it was very brief. Honestly, it's a very small part. Uh, it was super intense. Uh, being on the set of a, of a sitcom shot in front of a live audience is, uh, it's crazy because they, they have such a short amount of time to get so much stuff done. And it's scheduled incredibly tight. And uh, the director on these type of shoots is just like a general like he's just like yelling out orders like, go, 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 get it, get it, wow. get it, bang, bang. And so wow. it's a lot of pressure. And so I honestly, I feel like the whole thing was over in seconds after like a whole day of walking around in costume, being ready, have, practicing my three lines. Yep. 
uh, and then the thing was over in seconds. And um, they they actually like we did a take of it, and then they did a rewrite on the spot. They like they're like, okay, we want to change your line, so they gave me a different line. And then you know, like I said it one way, and then in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm gonna try this, and then we're gonna do it again. I'm gonna try something a little different, and we'll get it right. But then like they're like, all right, we're done. I'm like, oh fuck, it's over. Like before, I, you know, before I even realized that it started. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and then you know, it's just a really small part. I ended up having like I walk in a room and I scream, and then like I have like one line and it's over. But <laughs> I guess the, the the funny thing about it is prime time. Yeah, uh, it, the show's called Rel, and it's not even on anymore. But it was a uh, 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 all black sitcom. And I think I was only the second white person ever to be on the show. And I played a janitor in, in a hospital. So these are the roles that white guys get in Hollywood nowadays. Janitor, <laughs> gas station attendant, garbage man. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> this, that, that's what you have to hope for, Rob. I don't mind it. I'll take it. That, 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 that clears just as much as an accountant or uh, an airline pilot. Yeah, make me out. Oh, I think acting is dope because you can just cut out from yourself for a minute and just have some fun. But yeah, what I have. Well, I love it, dude. Set. You're great at it too. The the shorts that we made to go back to PMA, if we brought it up briefly, that was awesome because we just got to do our own thing. You know what I mean? And like like I was saying about the the rail shoot being over so fast, we did the exact opposite where we did things just like as many times as we want very loosely like oh we'll try this we'll try that very little planning and then it came out great because you end up with all this kind of awesome natural expression within the premise you know what i mean so that's how i like to work really like i like to be very loose and for me everything i've ever made is a nightmare to edit uh (laughs) because of that reason but I know they, you uh, edited our PMA video so good. Mookie edited and had a great eye and you cut in the right jokes and you understand television. And uh, yeah, that was such a great product. Yeah. But when you're on those big budgeted like network, that's the thing about those gigs is like you can buy a house with this type of money. Like it's real, like, you know, real fucking don't fuck around money. And uh, they don't have time. Honestly, they, they don't should. have time they to should. fuck around. They, they just don't have time. money. They should spend that money feeding homeless people most of the time rather than making these shows, honestly. <laughs> Dude, Hollywood is cr- it is a machine, man. They crank right now. How many shows are being shot right now that maybe not ever be seen? Like maybe union shows. Yeah. And I that all takes lighting. It, But it is dope. Like, I don't know. I'm learning more about filmmaking, doing this podcast. I got a light on me. I got a sound has gotten a little bit better inch by inch. You know, I really moved like a turtle, but I always keep going. forward. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it's just it's amazing when they get to Hollywood, like everything is at such a professional grade, like the lighting. Once you start fucking with union people, it's like the lighting people. That's what they fucking do. The sound is like they they feed their kids doing the fuck so that it's all bomb and but it's i mean it takes a lot yeah yeah man um it's hard i, to I worked on a project i worked on a project last year that had like a, almost a three million dollar budget oh, uh and it still hasn't come out it's just sitting on a hard drive somewhere for like almost a year now I haven't heard a word about it being pitched or anything i don't know if it will be because it was with complex and they were sold to buzzfeed it had a big mix up of all their upper staff 
and no one knows what's happening. So it's like, that's what these companies do, bro. They just like ship that kind of money into something. And then now it's just a, it's just a file. It's just megabytes, bro. Dude, once you go up to a certain level, it's all business. I was thinking about that in the shower today. It's like, and businesses fold and move. Like old dudes just like buy up businesses, run it. If it's making money, then they flip the money. If it's not making money, everybody just scraps it. You know, everybody's just like, bottom line, this thing ain't making money. Bam, out. We got to keep moving. So yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's a trip. Show business is a trip. Mookie, it's been almost an hour here. I don't want to take too much of your oh, day. I know you're always writing, and, and I hope you oh, pitch something that, that get I... me in and do a little part in, hopefully soon. <laughs> uh, but uh, And vice versa. If I ever get something, I'll find something for you. I just think you're uh, so much fun to work with, and thanks for being on the pod. Thanks for talking about all the shit. Congrats on the on the new YouTube special, on uh, uh, your new special that did you edited that, just to tie it in real quick. Did you do the cut and scratch yourself? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I did dope. that. And, and again, a similar process to PMA where I tore my hair out for weeks, <laughs> uh, but it got done because I'm not a professional editor. It's something I have an eye for the timing, but the actual stuff on the computer is something that I'm constantly learning as I go. So making it look like what I imagine is always uh, a hurdle, but it got done. Yeah. And it's definitely a blessing to be able to edit your own comedy. There's nothing more empowering because leaving that in the hands of somebody else to me is an absolute nightmare. Anytime I've ever seen somebody else editing my stuff, it makes me feel nauseous because I'm such a control freak about how my material is perceived. That was like, I need to be able to cut exactly at this line. I need to be able to cut out this word or this sound. And I mean, every comedian should learn how to edit for that exact reason, because it's, it gives you so much power over your stuff. You can make yourself look, as good as you're supposed to look, whereas somebody else doing it can only do their own version of it. And they're never going to quite see it the way you do. True. True. Yeah. I, I, I mean, everybody's editing right now. That's and, and the tools are all right there, but it does take patience and, you know, anything that you put your attention to uh, is my new thing. Like it just, you got to block out all the distractions. And even though it looks complicated, uh, you just kind of, if there's a will, there's a way you could figure it out these days. Yeah, dude uh so mookie what's um, the name of the special and then we'll sign uh, off the special is called free mookie <laughs> um quick quick story about that the, the name is actually inspired because once outside of a hardcore show a, a couple of cops came up and started harassing a big group of my friends and i sort of cursed out the cops and they like roughed me up and threw me against the car like, arrested me the guy was threatening to kick my ass and all this shit and then so a bunch of my friends followed the cops down to the police station and made like signs and t-shirts that said free Mookie on them. And so I had never seen the signs or the t-shirts because I was on the inside oh, when shit. all this happened. Right. So after I got out, I didn't even know about it. So about a year ago, somebody posted a random picture of like an old, one of my old friends bands playing at a show and he's wearing a t-shirt that said free Mookie and these like hand drawn bubble letters. And I was like, <laughs> That's it right there. So I need the special for that. I'm going to do a t-shirt also pretty soon. that says free Mookie too. So it's called free Mookie. It's on YouTube, youtube.com slash Mookie Thompson. Oh, love it. Love it. That is dope. Yeah. Man. Uh, if you want me to do the bubble letters, I'm down, man. Just let me know. I'll stencil it up. I've been practicing my bubble letters. I got them fat. Dude. If you, if you want to do a, a quick sketch of it, just, 
send me over on ticket submission. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll send you a pick. I might even do multiple versions. I got the most excellent set of Sharpies, my man. I got like (laughs) big. I got the I got the silver joints. I got the neons. I'll I'll, (laughs) we'll see what I can do. You never know with art. You just kind of throw it down. And then you see what happens. And sometimes it's fresh. And uh, I'm looking forward to I've checked out their clips and they're super fresh, Mookie. And I uh, appreciate you being on the pod. Everybody like and subscribe to the Cannabis Coffee Hour. Go check out Mookie. Like and subscribe to his YouTube. Uh, s- support good art, man. That's it. Yeah, um, if, you, if, you, if you do go watch the special, leave a comment and say you came from Rob's podcast. Yeah, from the Cannabis Coffee Hour all, right. all day. Uh, hashtag Cannabis Coffee Hour. I want to get that out there. So, yeah, that would be dope. All right. Hell yeah. Thanks, Mookie. Love you, buddy. Be well. All right. Peace, man. Thanks. Discovering truth is not a question of intelligence. It's intelligence, not intellectual ability or intellectual intelligence at all. Because if it were, I mean, there's so many people with really um, sharp intellects, you know, they have such skill at comprehending or going to the point. So if that was all that it took, there'd be many very many many uh, buddhas who came to the the intellectual artery or vein but it's not like that